The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When Rebecca and I first got to West Pines in 2006, at the time, the church was meeting in a cafeteria, and it was uh, set up and tear down every single week, which means that there was a box truck that would back up to the back of the cafeteria, and we would unload these, these carts on wheels, and we, we, we stored everything pretty much that we owned in this, in this truck, and we would set everything up. We'd set up the stage and the, the pipe and drape behind the stage, and then the sound system and all the chairs and the kids' ministry space, and man, there is just something, even though we're so grateful to move into this space where there wasn't set up and tear down every single week, we were just so, there's just something about that season where for the church to be able to come together and to worship together and for us to do church together, like it was actually on our backs to actually sweat and like put it, build it and put it together, and there's just something that just drew us together and just there's something just we owned about that mission and that was so inspiring, and there's just something about our relationships that just grew so close together. You know, for example, there was this one guy, his name was, uh, his name is George, and um, he, we just grew, there was kind of this kind of brotherhood that, that happened among the guys who were setting up, and, um, and his family calls him Jorge, and he made the mistake of telling us one uh, Sunday morning that his mother, even though, you know, he's a grown man, his mother still to this day calls him Jorjito. So naturally, we decided to call him Jorjito from that point on. And so um, there's that kind of brotherhood. I always remember George would, after everything is set up and all the chairs are set up, he, I remember the last thing he'd do is he'd pull out this mop bucket and he would just mop around the chairs. And um, he would mop with lavender-scented fabuloso. Can we just all agree that's the best smelling substance in the world, okay? There you go. Like if there was cologne that was that scent, I'd probably wear that, okay? And so he would just, he'd mop that, that whole cafeteria and it would go from smelling like bologna to smelling like fabuloso, okay? It was like, it was like magic in there, okay? And so uh, George was the guy that if ever one of these carts like broke or needed to be fixed, he would go back and he'd fix it and he would like measure the truck and he was the one that could get each one of these carts like perfectly built and everything could be perfectly stored in there and he knew all the space so they could all be pulled in and out and it was amazing. And I remember pulling one of the guys aside and I said, man, George is so good at getting those, building those carts and getting them just right. And one of them said, well, you know what George does, right? I said, no, no, what does he do? He says, he's an engineer. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And he says, yeah, he builds bridges. I'm like, okay, wait, what? He like builds bridges like that people drive on and that kind of stuff. And they're like, that's really the only kind of bridges that are around. Yes, he builds <laughs> those kind of bridges. And he says, go ask, um, go ask him about the bridge he was a part of in, in Thailand. So I said, Jorito. He's like, oh boy. And so he comes over and I'm like, uh, hey man, what, what's this bridge that you built in, in, in Thailand? And he all of a sudden he gets kind of embarrassed and he's, you know, it's kind of sheepish. He says, well, I, I mean, technically at the time, you know, it, it was the longest road bridge in the world. I said, what? He says, yeah, it's the longest road bridge in the world. I said, you were, you were part of that, that build? You're one of the engineers? He says, yeah. And, and I remember like at that moment, I had a couple thoughts. First one was, we have the best built carts of any church in the world, okay? 
this is the mind that's behind our, our carts. But the second thing is after that, I never looked at George the same after that. Once you, I knew a little bit of his backstory, you know, we were still friends and buddies, but I never quite looked at George the same. There's just some dynamic that when you learn some things sometimes about people, you never totally look at them the same. And I want to show you a part of the Bible, a passage in the scripture that it, it reveals a layer about Jesus that it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, or maybe you're here or watching online and you say, yeah, I'm not even sure that I... I'm not even sure that I follow Jesus. You've got to see how this reveals Jesus and what this says about Jesus. Open with me to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> Revelation 1, starting in verse 1. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, so if you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open to Revelation 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, I just wanted to show you this first verse. I just want to pause just for a second, and I want to point out it, it, the uh, first word in this entire book. In the original Greek, in the ancient Greek, the word there is apocalypsis, which is a very fun word to say, and I think we should all say that together. Um, so uh, on three, we're going to say apocalypsis. One, two, three, apocalypsis. Great. And uh, apocalypsis, you can probably hear when you hear that word, apocalypsis, is where we get our English word apocalypse from. Now, if I were to say apocalypse, or even if you were to look it up in the English dictionary, when you hear apocalypse, you think the end of all things, you might think like Armageddon, or you might think of some like cataclysmic event that ends the world as we know it. That's what we think of when we think of apocalypse. But apocalypsis in the ancient Greek, it very simply means revealing. It just means something is revealed. And so this book, the book of Revelation, is revealing something. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's revealing something through this entire book. That's why it's called Revelation. It's revealing something. And I want to look at verse 9. I want you to see. We're going to jump down to verse 9. We're going to see um, what is revealed. It, let's pick it up in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Now, now look at how these churches are named. They're named for their cities. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Okay, let's just kind of get our bearings here. Who is this John? Who, who is writing all of this down? John is the famous John, one of the original 12 disciples. He was in Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' inner circle. And uh, John was arguably the closest human friend to Jesus. He was known as the beloved disciple. And John was the one that sat right next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. John is the one that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus looked down and he sees his, his mother Mary and he sees John next to her and he says basically to John, take care of my mother Mary, which is significant. Because Jesus has other siblings. 
This is the beloved uh, close friend of Jesus, okay? Um, th that's who this is. He says he's on the island of Patmos. This is uh, also cues us on a couple things. First of all, this is at the other end of his life. When he was walking around following Jesus at the, uh, was, when Jesus was having his ministry on the earth, he was in his teens most likely. He was most likely a teenager. Now he's probably in his 70s or 80s. He's at the other end of his life and he's on Patmos. He's been banished there. And he says he's on this island because he's been preaching about Jesus. He's given his life ever since he was a disciple. He's been giving his life to preaching about who Jesus is. And he has now been banished to spend the rest of his life. He can't leave on this island. He is the only one of the 12 that was not executed, martyred for his faith. But what we know historically is that he was tortured. And he, was, he survived that torture and then was exiled. So he suffered for his faith. He's on the island of Patmos, and it says on the Lord's Day, so it's Sunday, the first day of the week, he's worshiping. He's probably alone. He's worshiping, and he says he, he basically sees a vision in the Spirit. And he says the voice he heard behind him sounded like a trumpet. Did you catch that? Sounded like a trumpet. Now, what does that mean? What's he trying to describe? It's loud. It's blaring. But it's not grating like a siren. It's like regal and triumphant. Royal. That's what the sound, his voice, this voice sounds like. Now, he's going to turn. He's, he's supposed to write something down and send it to the churches. And he turns to see who's speaking to him. Let's pick it up in verse 12 and see uh, what he says. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." He hears the voice like a trumpet, and he turns to see who's speaking to him. And he sees seven golden lampstands. So imagine like maybe menorah on the ground, like the, the height of, uh, of a full-grown uh, person, lit, seven of them. And there's one standing in the midst, and, and the one who's standing in the midst has seven stars in his right hand. And it says, the one that's standing there is one like a son of man. In other words, he's human-ish. But it's like he's more than a human, like beyond human, like upgraded human, ultra-human. And he just starts to describe him. He says, his clothes are like radiant white with a gold sash around his chest. He says, his feet are are like bronze burnished in a furnace. 
so this is not like high polished bronze. Like bronze, when it's in the furnace, is like white hot liquid metal. It looks like liquid fire. You can't even look right at it. It's so bright. That's what his feet are like. His hair is like white like the snow. His eyes are like ablaze, like they're on fire, like with a fury. His face shines like the sun. At full strength, it says. So maybe when you were a kid, you were in the backyard one day, and you're like, hey, let's play a game. Let's see how long we can stare at the sun, which is not recommended. Because scientifically, if you look directly at the sun, after a few seconds, you can start doing actual damage to your eyes, even though the sun is almost 100 million miles away. You can start doing damage to your, your eyes, and even after a minute or two, you could go blind. He says his face shined like the sun at full strength, like he can't even look directly at his face. And then he describes this being's voice again. He's already described it like a regal trumpet. Now he describes it like the roar of many waters. I don't know if you've ever stood at the foot of a large waterfall before. But as those tons, literal tons of water are just pummeling and pounding the rocks below it, it is like a roar. It is a rumble. It is like thunderous, the sound. And if you're at the foot of a massive waterfall, like if you take that little boat out, like at the foot of uh, Horseshoe Falls or Niagara Falls, it is deafening. But it is deafening in a way that you actually feel the rumble in your body. It resounds through you. So if you're a sound engineer, I want you to think of how he just described Jesus' voice. It's got the, the highs of this resounding trumpet, and it's got the lows, the bass of the roar of men in the waters. It's an overwhelming sound. And then he says his voice is like a two-edged sword. It's like every word is like piercing the cells of my body. Why? He's standing before God himself. He's standing before the one that when that one speaks, the universe, the universe manifests into existence. Nothing does not immediately obey that voice. That's the voice he's hearing. So he, he falls down, he says, like a dead man. Now, I want you to imagine tomorrow you're washing dishes in the kitchen and your spouse decides to sneak up behind you and to blow a trumpet right behind you. What is your reaction going to be? You're going to turn, take the trumpet, and beat them with it, okay? <laughs> and you might say something to the effect of, like, oh, you scared me to death. What are you doing, okay? That is not what John is describing here. He's not just like, I was really startled. That's a loud voice. He's saying, I threw myself at the feet of this being, assuming this was my end, like this was going to be my final moment. I was sure that I was going to be dead. Let's see what he, what he says next here. Let's pick it up in, in verse 17 again. Here's what he says. Then I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, 
And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. John is on his face at the feet of this being. He is assuming that this moment is his last, like he is coming to an end at this very moment. And this being walks up to him, and he lays his hand on him. It's significant which hand he lays on him. It's his right hand. That is a symbol of favor. Like if um, someone were to say about you, oh, he's my right-hand man. That's saying, oh, yeah, he's like one of the most important uh, people to me. You almost never hear someone say, and he is my left-hand man, okay? Like (laughs) you don't want to be someone's left-hand man, okay? That's not a good thing, okay? The right hand is symbolic of favor. He comes up to John and puts his right hand on him. That's significant. And then he says, fear not. Why? Does he say, fear not, I'm not going to kill you? Does he say, fear not, you're not going to die? Fear not, this is not a dangerous situation at all. That's not what he says. He says, fear not, let me tell you who I am. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last. This is God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the first and last. I am the living one. And then he says something so ironic. He says, I am the living one. I died. Okay, how does the living one die? He says, I'm the living one. I died and I rose again. Who is this? This is Jesus. John is standing next to Standing, he's not standing, he's on his face before his Jesus. He says, I am the living one. I died and rose again. And then he says, I have the keys to death and Hades. This is an unbelievably powerful symbol. If you have the keys, and especially in this ancient time period, remember, this is not a time period where you can just skip off to Home Depot or Lowe's and make as many copies of a key as you want and pass it out to anybody. Like, keys are going to be handcrafted. If you have a key, uh, it is a big deal to get you that key. It's got to be fit to that lock. If you have the key, that means you're a person of authority. It's not unlike if you're to walk through a high-secured facility and everyone has key cards. And as you're walking through, you come up to a door and you scan your key card and the light blinks red and the door's locked. What does that mean? You don't have the authority to go through that door. But if you have a card that gets you through every door in the facility, that means you have the highest level of authority in that facility. Jesus says, I have the keys. But I want you to see what he holds the keys to. He says, I am the living one. And I died. Jesus surrendered himself to death on a cross to pay for our sins. And he died. But then he rose back out of death. And you know what he brought with him? He brought with him the keys to death itself. That means Jesus is the living one, and he's the conqueror of death. He's the one who is the life. He's the sustainer of all things, and he is the conqueror of death. And so that is who is coming up to John and putting his right hand on him as if to say, here's why you don't need to fear, John, because of who I am. I am the living one who conquered death and I am for you, not against you. Is that pretty good news, church, right there? 
That's who Jesus is. He, he, that is who he's revealed to be. Now, here's what gets me about this passage. Is that John, remember, this is happening towards the end of John's life. But this is not the first time Jesus has been revealed to him in this way. He's been preaching about Jesus all his life. But rewind all the way back when he was a teenager walking around with Jesus. And you can go see the account in, by, in Matthew uh, chapter 17. Peter, James, and John are walking up a mountain with Jesus while he's in the middle of his ministry. And just the inner circle is with Jesus. And it says he was transfigured before him. And this is what it says happened next. Tell me if this sounds familiar. His clothes were dazzlingly white. His face shone like the sun. They felt the presence of God all around them. They heard the voice of God, and at the sound of that voice, they fell on their faces until Jesus walked up, placed a hand on them, and said, rise, fear not. Does that sound familiar? This is the second time John's gone through this. Okay, now I want you to see this. Okay, John's gone through this before. He's been preaching. He knows who Jesus is. This is not his introduction to Jesus. He's one of Jesus' closest friends when he, was, uh, when he was walking around on the earth. But I want you to see John's reaction. He does not turn and see Jesus all dazzling in all of his glory and say, Oh, it's just you, Jesus. You got to watch out. Jesus does this sometimes, okay? He gets all bright and you can't look at Jesus, tell me next time. I'll get my sunglasses before you do this. That's not what he says. John, who knew him closer than maybe anybody else on earth, saw him like this before, preached like this all his life, was willing to suffer, willing to die and be banished for this, sees Jesus like this again and falls on his face like a dead man. You never get over Jesus in all his glory. That's who he is. So how this passage plays out, it has to be revealed like that to John first before he can then reveal it to these churches. So let's just start with us. It doesn't matter that we have never seen like John did twice. We've never seen Jesus in all of his glory yet because every human who ever exists will stand before him. It doesn't matter if we have not seen him in this form yet. That's who he is. When we pray to him, when we talk about him, when we preach about him, when we sing about him, that's who he is. When you turn on the praise music in your car on the way to work or through the car line, that's who you're singing to. That's who he is. That is Jesus in, in being revealed in all his glory. What should be our reaction? on our face before Jesus as the king who reigns over all and reigns over our life. So is there anything in our life that we take Jesus in kind of a cavalier kind of way as if the things that he said are suggestions? That is who Jesus is revealed to be. And John gives us our response. Fall to our knees on our faces before the living one who conquered death. John is to receive that message and then share that message with the churches, which he does through this book of Revelation. He's still sharing it with our church today. 
But here's what I want you to notice. The churches are all named for their cities. Why? Because those churches are the heart, the soul of those cities, and they're in turn to reveal Jesus to their city. Church, this is our mission, is to, to reveal who Jesus is to our city so that the transformation that happens in our life may happen throughout our city. It's to join the movement of the church of South Florida, our church and the other churches of South Florida, to join the South Florida church, that movement of revealing Jesus to our city so that our city can be transformed. Now, this has always been part of our, of our story. Um, 19 years ago, 30 individuals left a church in Hollywood called Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, and they met in the living room of Clark and Brenda Mayer and began the, our church, West Pines Community Church. And, but I, I want you to know where, where they came out of. Um, that church that most of them had been discipled under, they had been discipled under a, a pastor by the name of, of Bill Billingsley, and uh, Bill and Betty Jean Billingsley were the leaders that the ministry that they were discipled under. In fact, that was my home church as well as a child. That was the ministry. I, I sat under their, their leadership as a child. And um, they were, uh, Bill and Betty Jean Billingsley were larger than life in, in, my, in my mind. In fact, Bill Billingsley, um, he, he was uh, just this, this tremendous godly figure to me. And he actually built his own pulpit, the pulpit that he stood behind and preached behind. He actually built it himself by hand and preached from behind it for decades. And I remember just as a boy being like, he's even a carpenter like Jesus. I mean, this guy's incredible. And so um, he, he built this beautiful pulpit. I actually have a picture of it. I want you to see a picture of, of this pulpit. Um, there, there it is at, at Sheridan Hills. It's in the, the, the chapel um, to this day. And you see these three crosses, he wanted to always preach standing behind the cross. But what's the most beautiful thing about this pulpit to me is um, what's on the other side. So what you can't see is a plaque that's facing back at, at him as he preached week after week, but really anyone who preached from behind that, it was a plaque. And there was a verse, there's a quotation from scripture. And it was simply a, it, the verse is a request. So it happened during Jesus' ministry and a group of Gentiles came to the disciples and they had a request of the disciples. They said that they, they, they had something specifically that they wanted from them regarding Jesus. And, and this is what it says. We have a picture of the plaque that faces backwards on the pulpit. It says this, sir, we would see Jesus. They had traveled from some far off way all the way to find the disciples and they just wanted one thing. Can you just show us Jesus? And so on the back of that cross, he and whoever else would preach would be reminded there's just really one thing, not just a couple tips on how to have a better life. There's one thing that all those thirsty souls needed out there. They just needed to see Jesus and see him revealed. Church, West Pines, that's the soil we grew up out of. If you're part of this church, that's part of your, your spiritual heritage. Now, um, I had planned for uh, several weeks to use that illustration, and I just found out last night that um, uh, Pastor Billingsley, his wife, Betty Jean uh, Billingsley Carswell, is actually, was planning on joining us today, and she's actually here in the service with us. 
can we just pause and just thank her and honor her for, for what she has done to invest in, in our community? She planted seeds that are impacting your children and future generations in our lives. Do you realize uh, how much did um, Pastor Bill and, Betty, uh, Bill and Betty Jean Billingsley, how much did they uh, love uh, South Florida? Do you realize that this is how much they love South Florida? 72 churches they have were planted out of the ministry of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church just in South Florida, 72 daughter churches and granddaughter churches. I have never heard of a church having that level of influence, that level uh, in one city. They paved the way for the movement that is happening to this day. Church, that's our heritage. That's who we are. That's the soil we grow up out of that our mission is just one thing that those thirsting souls will know, that they will just see Jesus, that Jesus will be revealed. See, the, the thing that I love maybe the most about the name City Rev as a church is the moment you talk about the name City Rev, it immediately pivots from the church to talk about Jesus. The tagline of City Rev is revealing Jesus so that our city can be revolutionized. So when you invite to your church and you say, hey, you should come to my church with me. Oh, what church do you go to? And you'll say, I go to City Rev Church. And they'll say, oh, that's an interesting name. What does City Rev mean? They have just opened the door to a conversation for you to give them what their starving hearts and souls need, to give them the answer that they need for all eternity. Where you can say, well, this is where that name comes from. You know, I had known about Jesus and maybe even say, look, I, I went to church or even thought I was a Christian, but one day, who Jesus truly is in all his glory was revealed to me through the Bible. God just revealed, like, I, I realized who he is and it was revealed to me. And the moment I understood who Jesus was, the son of God in the flesh, my creator paying for my sins on the cross and rising again from the dead and sitting at the right hand of God the Father who reigns over all, when I realized who Jesus was, when that was revealed to me, it changed everything in my life. It transformed everything. And so what we want to see as a church, we just simply want to reveal Jesus to our city because we know that same transformation is going to happen all through our city. We want to see our city revolutionized by who Jesus is. It immediately pivots from our church to Jesus. Do you know why? Because it's not about the name of our church. It's not about our church. Church names come and go. Churches come and go. There's only one name that matters. The only name that matters is the name that is above every name. Because at the sound of that name, Jesus Christ, every knee and will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if we can, in our generation, as we are expending ourselves in our generation, giving ourselves, whether it means suffering or banishment or death, as we are giving ourselves to proclaim who Jesus is here in our city, may we use everything we can just to get the name of Jesus out. That's what matters. That's what matters, to declare the name of Jesus, to reveal Jesus to our city, to be a part of the movement of the church of South Florida, to reveal Jesus to our city, that our city might be revolutionized. 
I want to end with the last thing that Jesus said here to John while he's near death on the ground. He says this in verse 20. As for the, Mrs. Jesus, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Did you hear what that means? This one that is before John is the one like a son of man. He's one that's got a, a robe, a dazzling robe, royal with gold embroidered around a sash on his chest. The one whose his feet, you can't even look at his feet, let alone his face, it's shining like the sun, whose voice is rumbling. Why? Because the voice of the creator who owns and speaks everything into existence. He's standing before that awesome creator who holds all the power of the universe. He holds the power over every nation, every kingdom, everything in, in the universe is subject to his power. It's the living one who conquered death, who now holds the keys, the authority to death itself because he, he defeated it. He tore down the gates to hell itself. He said, he said, the gates of hell will not stand by my church because I tore down the gates. Who is this one? Where is he standing? He's standing amidst the lampstands. Who are the lampstands, church? It's the churches. Where is this son of man standing? He's standing in the midst of his church. That's why nothing can stop his church. He says the churches are in his right, right hand of favor. This is good news for you, church. Because if that one, if that Jesus is for you, who can possibly be against you? Is that good news for you today, church? Who could possibly be standing against you? Why do we want to reveal Jesus to our city? Because look who is standing with you, who will never leave you nor forsake you, whose love is closer than a brother, the one who's the Savior, the one who died to pay for your sins to ensure your eternity. That's who it is. He has authority over everything in your life, whether it's a, a marriage issue, a financial issue, a medical issue, whether you have fears for your country, fears over health, health concerns in our world, fears over your city, fears over your career. He has authority over all of it, and he places his right hand of favor on your shoulder and says, I am with my church, and nothing's going to stop it. That's who he is, and that's why we will spend every last breath to reveal him to our city. That's what we're called to do, church. Reveal Jesus Christ. Just it, that's it. Reveal Jesus that we might see our city transformed. See it revolutionized by the power of the gospel. Would you bow your heads and, and close and pray with me? I believe that there's some of you here, maybe some of you watching online, and maybe what you would say is, if I'm honest, I, I affiliate with Jesus. I call myself a Christian, but I've never seen Jesus like this because he's certainly not the king of my life. I'm still the king of my life. But today I need to do something different. I need to draw a line in the sand and make Jesus my king. I need to, I need to bow my heart at his feet. For some of you, you need to Start following Jesus for the first time. Not just affiliate with him, not just call yourself Christian, but make him the king. Dethrone yourself and make Jesus the king because he already is the king of the universe. Make him your king. Is that you? 
don't leave here unsure, is that you? Well, here's what I want to ask you to do if, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, whether you're sitting here or, or watching online, if you're ready to make Jesus your king with no one looking around, if you want to take that step today, I want you to slip your hand up in the air and put it back down. You want to make Jesus your king today. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else, you say, today's the day. I'm not walking out of here unsure about who my king is. My king is Jesus. Just slip your hand in the air and put it back down. Say, today's the day for me. Praise God. Amen. For those of you who are taking that step, I want to lead you in a prayer just silently right there in your seat. Pray this in your heart to Jesus. He hears this. He's the same Jesus in all his glory, but he's drawing close to you and he hears what's in your heart. Just pray this. Jesus, I make you my king. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being for me. And I give my life to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, there were people right here in our midst that put their faith in Jesus today. Can we just celebrate with them? Can we just let them know and just encourage that step? Praise God. And if that was you, if you're watching online, there's a place we want you to click right there on the screen. Say, yep, that was me. I put my faith in Jesus. Go ahead and click that right there. We want to follow up with you. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. If you are here, I want you to take that Get Connected card, tear that out of your bulletin, grab it out of the seat back um, in front of you, and just fill out that information and check that box that says that you put your faith in Jesus for the first time. And then put that in one of the offering boxes. Again, we want to just wrap around you. We want to give you a Bible and take you in the next steps on this, on this journey. Church, we're going to close with a song. And I can't imagine a, a better thing to sing back to Jesus and remind our souls that Jesus is the King. He reigns over all. He reigns over the universe, over every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus reigns. Let's stand and declare that together. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus, or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.